Welcome to Mr. Rewatch, your Mr. Robot recap podcast brought to you by a stand-up comedian and a depressive hacker. I'm Aaron. And I'm Devlin. And today, well, we are trying to do our part to liven up your self-isolation. Uh, we are also isolating. Uh, and so we've got a special guest joining us from afar today. Could we ask you to introduce yourself to the Mr. Rewatch listeners? Aaron, uh, Devlin, how are you? My name is Stephen Lin. I used to portray the character uh, Hamburger Man on the Emmy Award-winning series USA Network uh, series, Mr. Robot. We're so glad to have you here. I feel like if you've listened to some of our episodes, an interview with you has always kind of been our white whale that we were hoping to get one day. So I think that Aaron and I are both very excited here. It's your world. I live in it. Thank you. We're really excited. We are delighted to have you join us today. And so we're going to ask you a little bit about, you know, yourself and your acting and some of your thoughts on the series. Um, So maybe just to start off, just uh, Mr. Robot set in New York City. Is that home for you now? New York City. I, uh, yeah, it's primarily home, but I split my time between Boston, New York City and L.A., and I'm actually speaking to you right now from Washington Township, New Jersey, Bergen County. So, which is where one of the most prominent episodes of Mr. Robot takes place. So I don't know if it's so coincidental that I'm from Washington Township and, uh, you know, Rami's character is also from there too. So yeah, that's where I split my time. I feel like my mind is blown right now that we're <laughs> talking to you from Washington Township. Everything just came together here. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't, I kind of keep it very close to the chest about this character. Um, I know that people on Reddit kind of go crazy about it and there's a lot of theories floating back and forth and I'm kind of new to the Reddit game, but I don't want to like interject and kind of burst anyone's bubble. It's kind of want to let it simmer and do its own thing. Like the character, I don't want to contaminate anyone's timelines. I think that's fair. I think that's fair to let everyone have their own sort of imaginings about Hamburger Man. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, we were just chatting a little bit before we started recording. What are things like right now in uh, in Washington Township? Pretty quiet? Really quiet. Like every single thing has really come to a standstill. And so then you're self-isolating as well right now. Absolutely. Um, I'm trying to do my best to flatten the curve. New York is far too kinetic for the situation right now. So I just crossed the Hudson to to Bergen County and Washington Township, just kind of lay, lay low, you know? I also, uh, I'm also a caretaker to uh, my parents, so I don't want to get them infected either. And, you know, I don't want to go out and about and get sick. I don't want to get them sick either, either. Absolutely. Yeah. So maybe what we'll do, we'll kind of take a step back in time. Uh, I'll ask the first question. Um, so way back before you had even auditioned for this role, what interested you in auditioning for a part on the series, Mr. Robot? Um, well, I don't know, my agent just kind of floated it over and I just, we're like, go for it. Uh, the show was in its infancy. No one's, no one ever heard of it. And I think on the, in the first season when we were shooting the show, I didn't, no one thought it would be as big as, you know, it became. So, you know, it was around and I thought it'd be a great idea to audition for it. What was the audition like? Uh, it was kind of what an actor, like sometimes when you're inundated with a script, 
it's a good thing, but sometimes when it's just like a very like a one pager, it, you know, just because it's so limited, it just frees you up, and it's just it's so um, you're just allowed to explore the character as much as you want. So I dressed in the full regalia, and I went out for a coffee, and then I'm passing a Burger King, and then I'm, no, I'm sorry, I passed a McDonald's. I'm like, you know what? The audition says the character takes out a hamburger and starts eating it. I went in for a hamburger. Then I whipped it out in the audition. Boom, boom, boom. Felt like a good audition. Got the part. It was awesome. So yeah, that's what it was about. And I had it like stuffed in a pocket so they wouldn't see. And then I had it like unwrapped a little bit. And then when that, you know, the, the part came out, boom, I took out the burger and started eating it. Felt good. That's fabulous. Yeah. Devlin? That's one way to nail an audition. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, listen, they don't they don't give me a lot on the on the script. It was highly redacted. And I said, I'm just gonna go with it, man. Right. I think you said that you didn't like to kind of um affect the fans' perceptions of the character too much. Yeah. But when you have such a sparse script, um, did you kind of like invent a backstory for the character that helped you step into their shoes? Yeah, absolutely. But I think the character started developing with the fans because the fans kind of put it on Reddit and then they asked more about it. And it was just this really weird character in the show and they were producing their own theories. In the beginning, it was called, I think, Technician or Lab Worker. And then it was Sandwich Man, and then it became Hamburger Man. We were wondering about that. We weren't sure if it was canonically Sandwich Man or Hamburger Man. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's interchangeable, but it's generally, you know, Hamburger Man. So it's, you know, that name kind of stuck best. Do you have um, maybe a favorite memory from being on set that you wanted to share with our listeners? Uh, and, and I don't know, anytime I run into Rami, it's a good time. And... I think every season that I've seen him on set, he's just the same, like, humble, super talented dude. And I think I remember third season, we were, I think, shooting in Queens. And, you know, we had staggered time schedules, and I got there super late. And then he's just, like, in his zone. Then he stops. He's like, oh, shit, welcome back, man. And he gives me a big old hug, you know. And then he goes back and just does his thing. So, yeah, and then that was also the same... I think one season I saw Martin Wallström and he's the good guy. We were just talking. We have a lot of connections in Sweden. So it was cool. As I was thinking about your character, I realized you're in all four seasons and you're there for pretty much for some very pivotal moments in the show too, right? I mean, I think so. Devlin, do you want to ask the next one? Oh yeah, I would. And it's about something that I think um, on the podcast, we've had some debates and theories about uh, could you tell us what was in the bag that you gave to Angela in the um, the e-court building heist episode? Well, um, I asked Sam about that, and he said, you know, make this character your own. And when I get there, I get, like, highly redacted scripts. Um, I mean, I have my theory on it, and I think that, you know, it could be... Trading that uh, HSM clone to Angela, and then in the in the bag is probably her guilt, and it's super heavy. But we made it a point like I never touch her, and nor do I ever touch any other of these characters. But I do kind of weave them in and out of the narrative, 
and I never contaminate her. I never contaminate Rami. I never contaminate Irving. I never touch White Rose. I never touch, um, you know, Martin Wallstrom. So it's kind of like that thing where I never touch anyone in the show. And I think it was generally her guilt. But, you know, guilt is something that you can never weigh. It's something you can never touch. So I think that's what my character stands on. Well, it's a very interesting look at it, actually. And I think that makes a lot of sense. I don't know. You know, uh, my theory is as good as uh, anyone else's out there. Well, because uh, I think there's a standing fan theory on Reddit that just because of the way Hamburger Man floats in and out of the storyline that a Hamburger Man is a ghost. Have you heard that one? Yeah, I certainly heard that one. And, you know, that sort of the Casper, the ghost, and also it's an imagination. You know, it's, a, it's something that's created in the characters' minds. Uh, that's certainly uh, applicable. Uh, also, I also feel like, you know, my character is a part of the circuitry. And in order for, you know, any of these machines to work well, it needs to be super clean. Um, so because I'm part of the circuitry, I'm part of like this imaginary world. And uh, I don't know, I don't know so much a ghost because who then would be like my physical manifestation? Who was the, who was it based on? I don't know. I never, yeah, I've heard of that theory. Uh, yeah, I think it's just as applicable as anyone else's. That theory is kind of like the sixth sense, if that sense were taste. If that sense were taste, why? Because uh, because of all like the hamburgers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, for people who really enjoyed your performance, what are some other films and productions that can see you in? Um, uh, that year was a, quite a good year, and I was also in the Emmy award-winning series Master of None. Uh, I played Alan Yang's dad uh, from, you know, like an immigrant from Taiwan. And yeah, that was really great. Uh, you could catch it on Netflix. Also, uh, I think if you typed in on YouTube tall enough, you'll see my first ever paid professional gig. And that was also with Barry Jenkins, who ended up winning the Academy Award for uh, Moonlight. That's also a great gig that, um, you know, like that's one of like the things that kind of put me on the map. What else? Uh, I'm in Two Dope Queens. I'm also in Sci-Fi Happy. So I have a big old fighting scene with Chris Maloney. I think that was super cool. So I'm also tonight uh, going to be on the CBS show uh, FBI Most Wanted. You catch me on that. And high maintenance on HBO. I play the character Liang, so it was cool. That's what I do, guys. Professional actor, you know. <laughs> the best thing about your current gig is your next gig. So I'm lining them up and you know trying to make it happen, guys. I'm most excited about the fight scene out of all of those. Oh, the one with Chris Maloney. Yeah, yeah. I'll send. I'll send you the link. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thank you. we can put that in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have a, a role that you've always dreamed of playing? The role that I've always dreamed of playing actually went over to a Canadian. Um, I know the uh, operation is in hiatus right now, but Simu Liu is playing, um, what is it, uh, Shang-Chi. 
Oh, interesting. That's right. And I'm really glad the part went to him. I think he's a great guy. Uh, he and I were in the haikus for Hottie Calendar. Uh, and uh, that's a dream role. And I guess for me, it's just going to remain a dream. But I'm really glad that for him, it became a reality. So good for him. Uh, what is it about that role that um, you found so interesting? Oh, well, I mean, where do I start with that green light? Um, I mean, it's it's going to be one of the tentpole films for the su- subsequent phases for the MCU. I mean, that's one. Two, it's it's going to merge two of the biggest film and television theater markets in the world, which is China and the United States. I mean, it's got an all-star cast. I mean, and plus, I mean, who would want who wouldn't want to be in the MCU? And I'm certain that film is going to highlight Simu's, you know, not only his, you know, outrageous, uh, outrageously talented, you know, acting, but you know, he and I speak Mandarin and English, of course, uh, acting chops, uh, fighting skills. I mean, I've always wanted to portray my martial arts in a way that didn't seem, you know, clownishly goofy. So, yeah, I'm I'm highly nunchuck proficient. So that would have been like that dream role. But I'm really glad I went to him, you know. Yeah, but there's like so many reasons why you should get excited about Shang-Chi. You know, I'm so pumped about the second uh, Black Panther. I'm pumped about captain marvel i think the mcu is just great you know that black widow film is gonna look so dope i love how you can describe yourself as um nunchuck proficients because not a lot of people can see that yo um (laughs) yo we're actors man we got you know we got a lot of things to uh we wear a lot of hats yeah um when we had martin wallstrom on we asked him what his dream role was Spider-Man. he also yeah he went right to superheroes <laughs> so i guess that's something that you have in common yo who doesn't <laughs> want to play a superhero right who does who who doesn't want to play a villain it's crazy i mean you know you get to live all these crazy uh you know scenarios who doesn't want a superpower yeah and i'm sure there's there's room for you in the mcu at some point in the future <laughs> dude dude i feel like hamburger man is a superpower <laughs> i think like, I, I think if thanos were fighting hamburger man i think hamburger man would have given him given him a run for his, for his money i gotta ask so you said who doesn't want a superpower what would your personal superpower be i mean look how i weave in and out of timelines i'm a time traveler in mr robot Oh, good power. Yeah. You know, I'll just... It's awesome. It's great. I do it with such blase attitude. I'm, I'll be fighting Thanos and eating a hamburger at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> you got nothing on me, man. I would watch the movie. Yeah. Imagine, you know, during that big old fight scene, I popped out in that white suit and just eating that burger, munching along, be like, what are you going to do? I wouldn't even speak to him. No, there'd be no no dialogue for you? Absolutely not. Just munching on the hamburger? With Thanos? No, absolutely not. Now, um, we just talked about a bunch of movies, and I imagine that's one way a lot of people are passing the time these days. Mm-hmm. Are there? How are you keeping yourself occupied while you're in, uh, in self-isolation right now? Oh, man. Um, have you guys seen that Tiger King yet? Yes. Yeah, I haven't yet. So that's totally on my docket for tonight. But I am watching a lot of 
media. I don't know why, but I had to rewatch Chernobyl on HBO. No, that's a great show. Yo, I mean, it's it's just awesome. And I've been rewatching it. Is there something uncanny about rewatching it right now? Yeah, I mean, that, that's part of why I, I you know, re, I'm revisiting that this media because, I mean, how much of it is trauma that's caused, you know, human error. And I think I'm not trying to blame anyone for our current situation, but some situations are a little bit worse because of hubris, because of our guilt, because of how much we don't want, you know, other people to know the truth. I mean, these people that we used to pay minimum wage to that we decided weren't worth giving a pay bump. Now that some of the most important people on the front lines delivering food, um, you know, critical uh, supplies to, uh, to, to workers, to families, to the elderly. And a lot of it kind of reflects, you know, HBO's Chernobyl kind of Mr. Robot in a way that like, you know, as a society, when are we, when, when is enough enough? Our governors are asking, you know, our governors in America are asking for ventilators and critical equipment. And for some reason, some leaders, I don't want to mention any names, of course, aren't complying and don't think it's a good idea. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it does. And I was thinking that you might um, bring up Mr. Robot again, because I think that it kind of um, also shares some of those themes, like about how the government is able to react to disasters and then kind of what the aftermath of that is for the community at large. Do you mm-hmm. think that there are any other like um, themes for Mr. Robot that you see playing out in your life? Yeah, well, you know, the discrepancy between the rich and the poor, I mean, that's certainly one of them. I guess that's a great example. Yeah, I mean, look at how the tragedy now affects the ultra-rich and look at how tragedy affects the ultra-poor. Yeah, it's definitely really sad to think about that stuff right now because it's really kind of... Um, come to light for everybody to see right and then i yeah and then when you have celebrities like how do you even get a covid19 test but you have all these people that are getting this test how are you getting this test and also access to resources i don't know it all kind of parallels i mean why do we i don't know and then here we are stuck at home and all of us are kind of navigating media and I think after this is all said and done, we should probably thank, first and foremost, you know, healthcare professionals, people on the front lines, people that deliver our foods. But also, I hope that, you know, people like you and then people like Aaron and a lot of my actor friends understand that, well, you know, you're reading books and you're watching media. So I think... Have to give uh, give a little to the arts, of course. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Um, I think one of the things that's really in the news are, you know, how are how are people being bailed out of this crisis? Yeah. And the arts, of course, are, are it's a really unique way to make a living. And so, do you think that's got to be addressed in in a different way, probably, than people who work a nine to five? Well, yeah, because no one wants, especially power. I mean, they don't want a mirror reflected on them, you know, they don't want this dissemination of information that doesn't make them look good. So, I mean, you have 
doctors that are being fired for posting on social media that they don't have enough PPE. You have Amazon that fired that uh, employee for, you know, making a big fuss about not having protective gear. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of thinking about these things. What was your question again? Oh, um, just about whether people who work in the arts need a specific kind of support from the government right now. Um, well, I think first and foremost, I mean, I wouldn't never, I would never want to dip my hands into that pot because I think all those resources should first and foremost be going to healthcare professionals that are on the front line battling this outrageous disease. But I think um, universal basic income, I think that's a very good idea. I know that I'm, I'm speaking to Canadians right now, and you guys have more of a socialized healthcare program. Uh, we don't necessarily in America reflect that same kind of model. And I would, I think, you know, Andrew Yang and his ideas were, you know, certainly ahead of their time. And I don't think it's a bad idea to kind of revisit uh, a role, a more robust safety net for people. And I think if people weren't so, uh, spending all this energy and resources into just paying rent, they could be more civically engaged and uh, have more of a voice in their democracy. I mean, in America, the largest voting block are people that are eligible to vote, but do not. Now, some of it, yeah, sure, is apathy. Some of it is youth apathy, but a lot of it is, hey, I can't go out to vote because I can't miss a shift or else I get kicked up, kicked out of my apartment. So yeah, I think actors, I think instruments of expression and I think artists, and I even think, you know, the regular nine to five. And I certainly think even the poor, a more robust, you know, social network or a kind of a social net, is ultimately very good for democracy, but very bad for, um, I guess, people that are trying to consolidate power. Absolutely. I think that um, you can kind of tell that UBI is such a good idea, especially in the time right now, because um, there are even some like more moderate Republicans who are starting to pitch it. So it seems like um, when the system is stressed so much with a disaster like this, it becomes more of an obvious conclusion to everybody. Yeah, but you know, when everything's good and dandy, you know, people don't think about this. But there are a lot of people I know, especially actors, that live from paycheck to paycheck, and sometimes they don't get to do what they love most, or yeah, because they have to go pick up a shift. Well, so thanks for sharing um, some of your thoughts on that, and now maybe let's do a bit of a pivot into some more lighthearted matters, Devlin. I've been looking forward to this question ever since I started recording this, so uh, sorry if I'm a little giddy, because um, uh, there's been a philosophical debate between myself and producer Dave, and it's actually not like a debate between us, it's more like a debate between us and everybody else okay. in the world, where we argue with everybody else constantly, 
And because you are the kind of authority on sandwiches, oh, we were hoping you could just settle this for all of us and then put the question to rest forever. So the question that we have been pondering for years and years and years is, um, is a hot dog a sandwich? A hot dog? Uh, is a hot dog a sandwich? I'm going to have to say yes. That's good to hear. Yeah. Okay. You're on our side. <laughs> Why? Who, who are the naysayers? There are a surprising bunch of them. And you'll find that if you ask that question to a group of people, it will make all of them start arguing with each other, regardless of how friendly they were before. I would say, you know, what are the criteria? What makes something a sandwich? Um, well, what am I doing right now? I'm plugging into Google right now to find out. <laughs> what is a sandwich? Question mark. Okay. And an item of food consisting of two pieces of bread see already that's a flaw already that's a flaw all right two pieces of bread with meat but doesn't have to have meat either cheese are there filling between them okay fine eaten as a light meal well i know a lot of hearty ones so no it doesn't have to have two because you know the big mac has three pieces of bread and a submarine sandwich kind of it's only cut partially right i still consider that one piece of bread what about a taco See, this is why they call. This is why the hamburger man is always eating these. That's one of the reasons why he's always eating a burger and you know sandwiches because it's this character reflects burgers. Burgers and sandwiches are so fluid and ambidextrous. You know, you can have finger sandwiches. You can have big old meals for sandwiches. You can have Big Macs with three layers. You can have those fancy club sandwiches with the three slices of bread. So the sandwich is sort of a metaphor for sandwich guys' versatility and uh, situation. Dude, we pop up everywhere, man. (laughs) Dude, we're we're everywhere and anywhere you want us to be. You can put us in a bag. You can have us as a meal. We're accompaniment to to french fries and curly fries. You name it, man. And the taco thing, I was thinking about this, and I was asking a friend of mine. They said, ask these two this question. Is it a soft taco or a hard taco? Oh, and does it did it make a difference to their answer if it was hard or soft taco? Yeah, because this soft taco thing, I mean, it, you can wrap it up, you know, but then these these hard tacos, they become nachos if you if you treat them too rough. So, I think the soft taco is certainly more certainly more sandwich-esque than the hard taco. It has a structural integrity about it? Yeah, there's like it's more malleable, the soft one, but the hard right. one. It's at least got like a wheat flour yeah. in instead of the corn flour. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm with yeah. you there. And then the hard <laughs> one, you know, there's not a lot of fluidity to this because you have to tilt your head, you know? Yeah. That does make sense. Yeah. Okay. I feel like you've done a good job of explaining the sandwich rule style of this <laughs> year. You know, I, I saw this question. I'm just like, oh, well, let me think about that one. We got a couple other sandwich related questions. So this one, this is a question from producer Dave, who wasn't able to be on the recording, but he's going to be doing all of the behind the scenes magic on this episode. Hi, Dave. Hi, Dave. Um, Dave. He he asks, what's the best burger? Whataburger, Shake Shack or In-N-Out? The burger I get paid to eat when I'm on set. (laughs) <laughs> nothing tastes better than success this is by this is definitely one of the best acting gigs i've ever had so i just get there you know they treat you super well you get to eat on camera and then you get to eat afterwards it's awesome 
that, that does sound awesome, and it brings us into our next question. You actually did eat the sandwiches during the Absolutely. recordings. Do you have to eat like one per take? There isn't one take where I start off eating the burger in its entirety. They, you know, the production production people, and you know, big up to them. They, they, they're you know, they're awesome. They cut the sandwiches and make it look like I've been eating it. Wow. Uh, but I think for the first season, I, I, I think that day I probably had 15 in total. That's incredible. I feel like I'm going to need to try and challenge you in that record now. But I also, I also like, I, I'm not, I don't think I'm very good at almost anything, but there are some things that I'm very, very good at. And one of them is eating an incredible amount of food very quickly. So I can put down the calories, man. I guess that's one of those other um, important acting skills. Yeah, well, you know, I'm flexible, man. You know, I can do what I do, man. Now, we just have a last couple of questions for you. Um, Now, do you have any other upcoming projects that you want to share or that you can share with our listeners? Uh, Tonight on CBS, I will be... uh the CBS Dick Wolf show called uh, FBI Most Wanted. I play um, kind of a, another bad guy, kind of a secret agent. So you might want to check that out. That's super cool. And I got some stuff on the pipeline I can't really speak about. Uh, and certainly this whole you know global pandemic has kind of put a lot of my gigs on hold. So, yeah. Uh, but... You know, everything get, gets back to normal. You know, hopefully I can be on set for those. The thing you can't talk about is definitely the most tantalizing. We'll need to follow you for some more news about that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I you know, I signed, <laughs> I signed all these NDAs about it, so I'm not really privy to talk about it. Yeah. Right. I hear you. Is there anything else that you would want to share with our listeners? No, I just, I want to give a big shout out to all of my listeners, all of the uh, people that supported the show, uh, especially the Reddit people. They're hilarious and, you know, they're super passionate and they always put a smile on my face and, you know, I just want to say thank you. And also, this is like my first ever podcast that I've ever done. What? Yeah. We're so happy that you're doing your very first podcast episode with us. Yeah, I did, I don't know if I wanted to start the episode with it or when we're like off the air to tell you guys. But yeah, you know, I'm super grateful that you guys thought of me to kind of do this. And I'm just super excited. And those cookies look so cool. So a, a little secret. They're actually, they're actually Christmas tree ornaments. Very cool. Yeah, so someone has them hanging up in their law office, uh-huh. um, and there's another set that made itself somewhere else in the U.S., uh, So, <laughs> and one set that went to Germany, so little hamburger men all over the globe. All right, yo, uh, if you, you know, ever decide to manufacture some more, send, send them over my way, and I'm always willing to support another artist, so I'll certainly buy a batch. Absolutely. Well, we'll get one sent over to you uh, as a thank you after this episode. Thank you. So thank you so much, everyone who listened today to Mr. Rewatch. We are recording remotely uh, between Canada and Washington Township, believe it or not. Uh, We're so grateful for your listenership. Um, We hope you are all staying safe and staying inside. Bonsoir. Bonsoir.